Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch and rewatch the 90s animated series Reboot. I'm Jessica, and I've been a fan for a long time. I'm Ben, and I'm watching this for the first time. Each week, we'll take an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, we're doing Season 2, Episode 2, High Code. So, Ben, how was your week? Oh, it's pretty good. I've been getting some bowling in, some running in. I uh, actually went to a uh, bar trivia uh, last night at a local brewery. That was real fun. Oh, awesome. Did you win? Uh, We did not, no. (laughs) 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 I'm also trying to get myself all packed up and stuff for our trip to Hawaii next week. You're not going to the volcano one, are you? Well, that's part of it, yeah. (laughs) Oh, no! We had plans to go to Waikiki and then to the Big Island, and uh, so we'll see how that goes. As we're recording this, there's been all the eruptions and earthquakes and uh, all that fun stuff, so we'll see if it gets in the way of our plans. I mean, there's enough other stuff to do, so, you know, we'll we'll adapt. Yeah, so what about you? What have you been up to? Oh... Making comics mostly on the side, um, so it's been it's been a busy couple of weeks, and mostly trying to like uh, get thumbnails done and all that stuff. Mm. Uh, so it's been you know we'll see how it goes. Trying to fit stuff in on the side, it's always it's always a fun practice. Yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump in? Let's do it. Great. All right, so we're on season two, episode two, high code. It first aired September 7th, 1995. It was written by Martin Boryicki. The story was by Gavin Blair, Ian Pearson, Phil Mitchell, and Lane Reichert. We start off, it's a beautiful day in mainframe. We are circling the core, and suddenly, in a flash of light, we get... The Predator? That's what it looks like. <laughs> it's like a big, giant, gross-looking bug or something. He also reminded me of the bugs from Rick and Morty. <laughs> that was a Crumbopulous Michael or something? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. It hisses at us menacingly. He kind of side-eyes the camera. And then we're done. We get no more introduction into who or what this bug thing is. And we're right off to Bob's. He's working on his car, or trying to anyway. Is this car ever fixed? Because he's working on it a lot. And I don't know cars very well, <laughs> but like I feel like at a certain point you don't work on like it it's done right (laughs) it's always got to be polished or something you know but he can't seem to find his laser scope anywhere which dot was holding the whole time yeah it's only because dot's hiding it behind her back she's like bob you dumb idiot did you check here (laughs) (laughs) which i read as her being all flirty and then bob immediately goes to mind giving it a crank which i was like oh man (laughs) bob's in on this he knows what's going on (laughs) then they just work on the car anyways so they have a back and forth about his issues with the car and maybe it was too early in the morning for me but i couldn't quite tell if they were still using euphemisms for his dick or not you know you you really should have this looked at by a professional yeah none of none of it sounded like euphemisms it sounded like real fakes car stuff but bob is pretty sure that he's right and to prove it he's going to climb inside the car which promptly eats him and then spits him back out (laughs) yeah like falls into some boxes and stuff yeah which actually the boxes he follows in all have this like logo on it that's all the symbols that you would normally see when you were cursing like in a comic or oh yeah tune which i thought was pretty fun because you know he can't actually curse in the tv but he'll land in the boxes that'll curse for him (laughs) (laughs) you just gotta draw a speech bubble around it (laughs) yeah 
So anyway, back at the core, our boy, the bug from Men in Black, leaps into the air and Bob senses danger. There's something wrong. Something here. I can feel it. His spidey senses are tingling. Yeah. <laughs> and Fong is having reception issues on his table. He immediately starts shaking it and hitting it. So this is going to go another strike against my Fong doesn't know shit about shit. <laughs> Bucket. <laughs> So uh, K. Michael opens a tear in space-time and says, uh, I am the gatekeeper. Are you the key master? I seek the code master, Talon. He's like, what? No, no. I don't know, no, no code master. I got, I got nothing about that. There is no Talon, only Zool. I really like the uh, number of names that he rolls out here. Talon dis- the Dispatcher. Hi, Talon of the Seventh Brotherhood. Star-Lord. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Fong is uh, not receptive to any of this, and he gets bubbled for his troubles. He starts to run back and forth and try and call security, and Bug Guy pulls out his magic stasis sphere. He gets frozen like in uh, the Medusa Bug again. Yeah, pretty much. And then he's stuck in a bubble. And we jump over to Enzo, who's zipping through a junkyard. Yeah, <laughs> Enzo and Friskia, they're heading to Old Man Pearson's for parts. They come across a uh, sign on the door that says, do not enter. And Frisk is just like, fuck your sign, and pulls it off. (laughs) And then Pearson has a poster of the bikini binome on his door. (laughs) Yes, and I'm pretty sure that's the same bikini binome that we saw on Mr. Mitchell's yacht. It is, yeah. So, you know, she's not just any bikini binome. She's a famous bikini binome. So, yeah, so they're rooting around, and they come across some kind of, like, cylindrical... Uh, bagpipe of some sort. Yeah, it looks like it was made out of a car engine or something, which Frisket immediately plays. <laughs> and then some like a glass scepter falls out of the box. Yeah, and it is doesn't look at all like it looks later in the episode. But <laughs> Enzo thinks it'd be a perfect stabilizer for an aircraft. Uh, if Old Man Pearson hadn't come in at that exact moment to scold them, he probably would have ran off with it. I think he was alerted by the sound of the bagpipes, to be honest. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> But yeah, so he starts to chastise them when our bug friend appears on screens around the city announcing his desire for Talon. This is the third episode in a row where someone has taken over the big screens to yell at the citizens of Mainframe. And I'm wondering, at what point do they just stop paying attention? It's just like a public access at this point. You know? Yeah. They're just like, next week the null juggling guy is going to get it. <laughs> So Bob and Dot arrive on the scene and confront the bug, who recognizes Bob as a guardian. And Bob asks if he's from the web, and he's like, no, I'm from the net. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I know, I, I knew you were going to be like, what is this? What does this mean? So in Reboot, that is actually two completely different things, the web and the net. That's and- some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get into it. We're going to see exactly what the difference is later on. And it's going to be like really important. So it's kind of fun that they're dropping this really early. Because as soon as he says web, everyone just like, oh, gasp. Right. And he's like, oh, you're lucky I'm not from the web. I'm just from the net. It's fine. I'm trying to think. So like, does the web imply spiders of some kind? So, oh. without getting too spoilery, like, the net is essentially the civilized area. Okay. Well, that's where Bob comes from. Yeah. He comes from the net. Like, you know, if, if you're from the net, you're, like, in an accessible computer, and there's, like, guardians and rules and guidelines and all that stuff. But the web is kind of like a freeform wilderness. The Wild West? I mean, kind of. <laughs> if we're going with the theme of the episode yes uh, in reality it's it's more like a lot of static <laughs> but okay 
yeah, it's going to be really interesting, and it's it's kind of fun that they dropped us this early. So again, he uh, he asks for Talon, and Bob is like, who dat? And so he sends out this staticky charge that blasts Bob up into the sky. <laughs> yeah, which he uses a glitch immediately to hang glide to safety. Uh, but just as he's about to land, the bug guy puts him in a magic spinny top, and then when the top subsides, he's got a little thing over his glitch. It's like a little pixel art, you know? Yeah. He can't use Glitch now. <laughs> so the bug's like, fine, I'll find him myself, God, and disappears, and thus beginning another destruction of mainframe. Yeah, he's going to find him himself, and he has to start toppling buildings immediately to do it. I'm not sure how that works. He's like looking underneath the buildings going, Talon, Talon, you here? Where are you? <laughs> under here? Nope, not under that one. Let me try this one. <laughs> so Dot begins an evacuation of the city, and she decides that she's desperate enough to give Megabyte a booty call. And she's like, hey, what kind of mood you in today? Apparently he's in the mood where he doesn't want to fuck with Codemasters. No, no. <laughs> he's not having any of that. Codemasters and viruses not getting along. He seems into it at first, though, until she lets on that she only wants him for his ride. I need to rent some transport. I do apologize, but this is not a, a taxi service. Which, it's kind of funny uh, that they threw this in. Like, it doesn't feel, like, tacked on at all, but it still serves no necessarily real purpose in the story. Except for the line where he says that, like, Codemasters and viruses aren't, like, getting along. So it's like, you, you know that they're not in cahoots, I guess. I guess so. They set that straight, at least. But Codemasters aren't a thing that, like, will come up ever again. <laughs> so... Oh, really? So this isn't a recurring problem? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm kind of disappointed because I was like, I, I really liked the design of the uh, bug here. Yeah, and I, I kind of like the idea of the Codemasters, which we can talk about later when we get there. So Bob is at Fong's sick bay, which now I do recognize as McCoy's from Star Trek. <laughs> I got chastised for missing that last time. <laughs> I really love here that Enzo immediately assumes that Bob has like guardian Ebola. He's like, he's going to die. It's a flesh eating virus. There's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then and Fung's like, no, we won't be so lucky. <laughs> like, it's actually a time lock mechanism that can only be removed by a Codemaster. And there's some interesting visuals going on here with the zeros and ones on the screen there, kind of freaking out. Yeah, you're kind of like seeing the code or what would be in a real world scenario, maybe like the, the DNA or the, the cells of the thing, which is pretty fun. I like that uh, Enzo's like, without glitch, we uh, don't have any chance. We can kiss our butts goodbye. And Bob's like, um, excuse me, thanks. Yeah, thanks <laughs> thanks for that, Enzo. That's really appreciated. A vote of confidence here. <laughs> and somehow Bob picks up on the fact that Fong is not telling him everything, which is weird because I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hey, I think you're hiding something. He's like, yep, you're right. I am. Let's go talk in private. We go to the inner sanctum where Enzo's not allowed. And there's a hologram up of Crumbopulous Michael there, and he explains that these Codemasters are a vicious society of erasers and deleters that destroy anything that they're paid to. They're one of the most vicious societies that run in the net, and even in the web. Essentially, they're in the bug guy is John Wick, and Talon killed his dog. And we also learn that Fong not only knows who Talon is, but he's been covering for him this whole time. Yeah, so somebody in Mainframe used to be this Codemaster, but they've since retired. He's living in peace and secrecy under a new identity, which seems to be foreshadowing a big reveal later on in the episode, right? It seems to be. 
Yeah, no, the, in the very next scene, Enzo figures it out. <laughs> so deflating any narrative tension, he's like, oh, it's old man Pearson. Let me go find him. <laughs> yeah, he somehow recognized the glass staff as matching the Gibson coil pike that Chromopulous Michael has. <laughs> Immediately goes off while singing the Batman theme song. Yeah. No, it's nano, 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 nano. It's the little differences. So uh, he he finds him and he uh, he claims that he recognized the Gibson coil pike that was in his warehouse and tries to convince him to use it against this stranger. But uh, Pearson's refuses, saying he took an oath when he quit the guild that he would never delete another living being again. He is an honorable samurai and shall not use his blade. <laughs> would you have ever guessed that it was um, Pearson before seeing this episode? Oh, God, I don't know. I feel like they do make sure that he's the only person that you see in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, he's the only speaking character outside of our main cast. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like if I watched this for the first time now, I would obviously guess that it was Pearson. Right. You also get to see the moment where he's with Enzo and Bug Guy gets over the telecom and he's, like, terrified. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was another big hint. But what about you? Did you see it coming? Well, like I said, I was kind of like, I didn't have a chance to even guess because like to even speculate because it was just shown immediately. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's no like messing around. You don't get to go like, I wonder who this is. They don't even do like a fake out like where you think it might be Pearson, but then it like they pull the rug out. You know, no, it's just Pearson. (laughs) It was actually Mike the TV the whole time. Oh my God, that would have been great. (laughs) See, (laughs) we should write for Reboot. So Enzo zips away. He has he has no intention of messing with Pearson and his inability to cope. No, his faith is shaken. And um, K. Michael snatches Bob's aircraft from the air and uh, threatens to delete him when a game fortuitously arrives. And he's like, "What is this incoming game?" I like how this is Bob's like big plan. Like, he came <laughs> away from the talk with Fong of like, "Oh man, we just need to like get his staff from him. This weird magnet car will do it," and like it is immediately caught. Yeah, like immediately, <laughs> and is going to die if the game hadn't come down. Dead Bob. But yeah, for some reason, Bug Guy does not know what a game is, which feels really weird. Well, Bob, I feel like he learned from the last episode to use his greed. And so he convinces Michael to jump in the game with him because therein lies unimaginable power. It's true. He has, you know, a little bit of character arc from last time. But it works. And so they approach the GameCube as Dot looks on in horror. Yeah, which is, you know, quite the plan. He knows that the sector that they're going to has been cleared out. So he has every plan to lose this game and nullify himself along with Corrupolis Michael. So the game that we're in is an Old West game, which Bob picks up on immediately. Right, complete with train barreling towards them. I do enjoy that the station that they're at, quote unquote, is one of those fake Old West towns, which only had the front. Which kind of makes sense if it's a 2D game, like in the real world. Yeah, that's true. If you were doing like a side scroller thing. Yeah. So Bob tries to convince Krabopulous to release Glitch from the time lock, uh, but his pike is powerless here, too. Sorry, Bob. Looks like you can't just anything your way out of this one. His pike is powerless except for the uh, spidey web fluid that he uses to get them both onto the train. His Stretch Armstrong power. (laughs) Uh, We also get Bob rebooting into a wonderful cowboy here. Yeah, is he a sheriff, I think? I forget if he's a sheriff. Either way, 
fantastic. He's got the hat. <laughs> he's got the little, like, bandana. He's got the fun, like, stubble but with the mustache thing. Yeah. <laughs> Very classic cowboy look. Yeah, so Michael pulls him onto the train with his big stretchy arm. And he asks him, he's like, what's the goal of this game? And Bob's like, uh, to win? <laughs> to beat to beat the user to the next station. He's like, fine! And starts leaping towards the front of the train. Now, I know that they can't actually lose this game because we, we're not going to have Bob die off in the game by himself. That'd just be a ridiculous end. I feel like Fong is already cleaning out his birdcage to like hold the null in. <laughs> true. He's like, I've got the perfect thing. But like, he's not doing a very good job of losing either. Like, if he really wanted to lose the game, he just would have been like, oh, just ignore that train. You've got to go over here. That's how you win. Right. And then... Well, he doesn't want to throw the match, you know, completely. <laughs> yeah, he still has got that, like, little bit in him. It's just like, oh, I still got to at least get on the train. Got to make an effort, you know? Yeah. So they start doing the classic run across the tops of train cars. And as they pass over a bridge, the user unstraps a pile of logs, sending Michael sailing over the edge. And then he leaps himself up those logs in a really funny bit of animation there. <laughs> Bob can't believe that he's about to help the user as they pass under a tunnel. I enjoy how he even goes so far as to save the user from falling at one point and throws him back up. Well, cause how can he lose if the user just dies? Which, as soon as he saves the user, the user then turns around and uncouples the train cars, twirling his dastardly mustache the whole time. Before he does that, Michael grabs Bob by the hat. <laughs> he's like holding him. By the hat only? Yeah. <laughs> Somehow holding him by the hat means that Bob is attached to it. That's where, like, he Michael asks Bob what the consequences are, and he lets him know that it's nullification times two. And so he fills him in on the whole scheme, and he is shocked that Bob would end his own life for the sake of his friends. But, you know, it's tradition. And then smacked right in the head by the tunnel entrance. <laughs> Which, and then, like, Bob emerges from the other side. He's still standing completely upright through the tunnel. <laughs> Bob knows the deal. He knows how to get through a train tunnel. He just kind of crouched a little bit, maybe. Yeah. But uh, cue Enzo yelling from the other side of the train. And with only a quarter mile left to go, Bob lassos the engine car, swings over, pulls off the user's tie, and ends the game with that? Yeah, I guess. I'm not sure how pulling off his tie does anything. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't beat them to anything. (laughs) No, he he just took his tie off, which... I mean, I guess it was a nice tie, and now it's gone, so there's that. <laughs> I mean, if that was the goal the whole time, <laughs> just take the Maybe tie. he did lie. He was just like, yeah, you gotta you gotta get ahead, but really, the goal was to take off the guy's tie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back at the diner, Bob starts chastising Enzo. He's like, come on, you ruined my plan. I was gonna do this whole heroic sacrifice thing. But Enzo's like, I was trying to tell you. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so K. Michael shows up in a little portal, and so does Pearson. They're gonna duel! And we finally learn his name. This whole time I'm writing my notes, I'm writing bug guy, bug guy, bug guy. <laughs> yeah. Lens, the clear unfolding. Lens, the reaper. High lens of the 62nd Brotherhood. <laughs> but you can just call him Lens, it's fine. And he challenges Pearson to an Agni Kai, which I just learned that Ben has not watched Avatar The Last Airbender. So for all of you... Host- Do not tune shame me here. <laughs> <laughs> for all of you out there, Agni Kai is from Avatar The Last Airbender. Go watch it. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but Pearson's having none of it. He breaks his own pike to turn down the duel. Yes, and Michael is adamant. He states that once a codemaster, always a codemaster. You can't just leave the guild. It's tradition. Then he starts 
growing. Yeah, he stretches to like several stories high. Yeah, he's like really big. Then he shoots his red beam into the sky. Right, it causes what Bob calls a paradigm shift, which we're never clear on what that entails, except that it darkens the sky. Yeah, and it's also not what like a paradigm shift is. So. <laughs> Either way, Bob is not having this, so he jumps in front of Pearson just before he's squashed by the bug. Ironic. He says he's not going to let it happen. And then Dot jumps in and says she's not going to let it happen. And then everyone else jumps on the boat because now it's cool. Well, except for Fong. He looks like he's going to jump in with solidarity, too. But no, he's just going to stand over here with Frisket. He's like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm good over here. You uh, you guys, you can handle that? He's like, you guys, yeah, you guys go. This is, this is you guys are definitely doing a great job. I'm going to retweet all of this. He's like still like reaching for the birdcage just in case, you know? <laughs> Uh, so the bug is touched by this display of honor, and it's apparently the only time over the entire internet that he's ever seen such a thing. So he promises to tell the guild that Talon is no more, and he takes the time walk off of Glitch and pieces out. Everyone starts to celebrate. Pearson just walks off, muttering to himself. So yeah, I'd razzle, frazzle, do my kids, and make me come out of my junkyard. <laughs> and then that's it. Smash the credits. Remote. So that was our episode. What did you think, Ben? I actually dug this one. Um, I wouldn't call it one of my favorites, but it certainly wasn't bad, in my opinion. How about you? Yeah, it was definitely solid. Like, I felt like everything was on point. There wasn't any extraneous little bits. There wasn't any, like, the jokes landed, the drama landed. Uh, but for some reason, it didn't, like, grab me. I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. I wish I could. But there was definitely something that was that felt, like, missing for me. I don't know. Yeah. But it was still a good episode. It wasn't a bad episode at all. And I feel like the same way about this, I think, that I did about the first episode of this season. Yeah. Which is that these were, these would have been great series openers, you know? Like, here's, you you get the idea of what this is, you know exactly what it is going in, like, you know, who these characters are and what their goals are, what their personalities are, and none of the extraneous bits that go with it. But not necessarily any of the overarching stuff either. I certainly want to give props to the designer of the bug creature. He had a lot of cool textures and detail going on. He was very cool. I really liked what they did with him, especially when he starts growing. Yeah. Because it was almost as if he was, like, unraveling all this strange, like, sinews that were making him up. It was kind of fun. Right. I like that I could follow the plot this time around. I do have some questions, though. So the purpose of these Codemasters, so they just go around just deleting things? I mean, it sounds like they're an assassin guild. For all intents and purposes. So if you... They're not sent by the user, apparently. And they're not viruses. So, like, what's their real-life analog? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, uh... I have no idea what their real-life analog would be. Maybe that's why they stopped using them. <laughs> and what was, um... What was Lens gonna do with Talon when he got him? Just fight him? Or take him back to their cabal? You know as much about Talon as I do right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a mysterious past and you don't know what his intentions are. Yeah, just a mysterious past. Exactly. Like if I had a guess, I would say that it seems to me like some kind of ritual. Like he's trying, he's a young whippersnapper trying to make a name for himself in this guild. Oh, okay. And uh, if he if he takes out this, this, this old guy, then, you Kinda know. Kind of like when the young gun in town has to shoot the sheriff to prove a point. Exactly. So I have one last question for you. Did you find the bug sexy? What? Well, I've been hearing a lot about how people are finding the robot from the new Lost in Space sexy. <laughs> is this what a thirst trap is? I can honestly say no. This is not This is not my idea of a thirst trap. <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Then I will remain, I will plead the fifth. Okay. <laughs> 
did think it was really cool that his mandible was like electronic or something. Oh yeah, it was a weird little. It was almost braces, like. <laughs> yeah, like every time we talked, like the little like sound waves went. I thought that was that was a pretty cool design. That's something I'd like to see. In, you would see something like in Star Wars or something. That's what it reminded me of. But you didn't want to see him like swallow Bob. No. What part of Twitter do you hang out on, Bob? I, <laughs> Alphanumeric. Jessica, what do we got for trivia this week in our signature segment, Bits and Bites? Well, so we'll start off with the episode title, um, High Code, which is a reference to High Noon. It's one, a movie back in 1952, Western, of course, but it's also just the general idea of a duel at High Noon. There's a crate in Old Man Pearson's junkyard or his special secret area of his junkyard that says the gimp keep closed at all times the gimp <laughs> which i can only imagine is a reference to pulp fiction say what again say what again i dare you i double dare you unless it's that photoshop type uh, program it could be that too this is a computer <laughs> <laughs> their hang lighter that glitch transforms into has uh 808 written on it which we learned from the first episode too is bob and then when Enzo starts singing the Batman theme to the old <laughs> Batman TV show, except instead of na 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 na, it's nano nano nano. Nano nano. And Codemaster instead of Batman. So the game station apparently references a real life Canadian town called Spuzzum. <laughs> I, I think I'm maybe saying that wrong. It's written like that. S-P-U-Z-Z-A-M. And that's a real town? It's a little north of Vancouver. And it's on the Trans-Canada Highway. So, yeah. The production code for this episode was 9502, uh, which is the train number that you see on the side of the train. And it's also on the little bar at one point. They're hanging off of it. And I was, like, freeze-framing. And I was like, what does it say on that bar? But it just said 9502. So, ah. And then generally, um, so we have the reference to the name high code to high noon but this whole episode is an obvious reference to western films this is a huge trope um the idea of this reclusive gunslinger that gave up his ways i mentioned samurai sword earlier because a lot of the westerns that we're familiar with that were also based on samurai movies Mm. so this idea of this reclusive gunslinger who no longer carries his weapon and just wants to settle down for a life of peace and a bad guy comes into town and he's going to take up his gun one more time in order to stop him so there's a famous one called Shane, okay. which also includes an annoying little boy who badgers, <laughs> who badgers the the hero Shane into finally picking up his gun and saving the day. In that one, though, Shane rides off into the sunset, and there's there's some implication that he's actually dead. I think we see old man Pearson again, so it's not quite. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the game. All right. So I found a few games that actually work really well with this. Okay. I found one called Sunset Riders. It's a side-scrolling game by Konami. It was uh, made for arcade games back in 1991. So since it's side-scrolling, it kind of goes with that whole, you know, flat, fake building. And you take control of a bounty hunter 
who's seeking rewards for various criminals. Uh, and there's even a scene where you're chasing a train and there's logs on the train because apparently that's a thing. Oh, nice. So I was like, oh man, this is kind of like it. There's another one that's called Tin Star. It's a rail shooter game. It was developed for the Nintendo and the Super NES back in 1994, but only in North America. It was super cartoony. So compared to a lot of the other ones that I found, it really had a completely different feel than everything else. But there wasn't a train scene, there was a stagecoach scene, which, you know, not quite the same, but still this, you know, the same idea of this like moving vehicle that you've got to like keep up with and, you know, complete your your goals on. And then I found one called Silverload. Uh, It's a point and click adventure game developed by Millennium Interactive for the PC back in 1995. So the player controls a first person perspective and they're walking around and they're clicking on items, which they then put in their inventory and then, you know, use as they normally would. What I found interesting about this one was that it was rated M for its graphic violence, blood, gore, and bits of profanity. Really? Which in 1995, I can only imagine is practically PG right now. (laughs) (laughs) You've got like things like Red Dead Redemption these days. Yeah. So I'm really curious exactly what caused the M rating on this. Interesting. (laughs) But there's that one point where you're not chasing a train, but you're on a train. You're looking around and trying to like, you know, start the train up. Like, do you have the stuff in your inventory to to put into the the engine to start the engine? Which I thought was pretty cool. What happens when you take your tie off? (laughs) He probably just goes in your inventory, I'd imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then one other thing I want to note, like, so I didn't put down the names of any of these because there's just so many and like i'd completely forgotten about these kinds of games so many old west games were actual people they recorded actual people talking and you were like interacting with them there's ones where you're like shooting actual people uh or you're just talking to actual people and they're all dressed up in like old west stuff and they're just like filming it but it's like in the game and that's that's the game is you interacting with these like these real people which is pretty funny i know there's also like a back to the future 3 video game oh there is a back to the future video game when did that come out uh probably around 1990 1991 there you go um and that's obviously western themed so you got like uh I know there's a horse race. Uh, you totally are on a train and you're throwing frisbees in this Back to the Future game. This is probably actually the better example. There's even logs on this train. <laughs> but would you play this game? This strange game where you jump from train car to train car? Probably not regularly. <laughs> <laughs> See, for me, I might. I like Westerns a lot, so it could be kind of fun. Yeah. I guess it depends on what the actual goal is. Is it just to wear your tie the whole time? Because <laughs> that changes things up. This is wrong. This is all wrong. So, in the course of watching this episode today, did you find yourself a frosty moment? So, I don't have a lot of nominees for this one. I just got the one winner, which is Bob in a cowboy outfit. <laughs> I mean, it's so great. Especially when he's held by the hat there. That's a... Yeah, and the hat is attached to his head. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's like stapled on like Indiana Jones. Exactly. What about you? Did you get a frosty moment this time? I had a couple nominees. Um, There's a scene right before Act 2 when uh, the bug starts destroying the city. There's a spot where Dot kind of slides into frame and it's literally she like floats in like there's no leg movement or anything. (laughs) Then there's the scene where where everybody's uh, standing up to the bug and uh, Fong decidedly does not join in (laughs) in solidarity. (laughs) But I think the frostiest moment for me is when K. Michael is jumping up, leaping up across those logs when he when he fell off the train. Just the animation of him. Yeah, because it's so funny looking. Him just going loop, loop, loop. All right, and those are our frosty moments for this week. 
So did we uh, get any feedback this week? So as always, we put out a call to people who were interested in asking questions or giving feedback about this episode before we started recording it. We got a kind of a question from David Cabrera, who's at night. A Dane on Twitter. Great episode. He definitely wants to know Ben's reaction to Old Man Pearson's secret. Until now, we just know Old Man Pearson as a grouchy old man living in a right. a junkyard, and now we know he's a secret assassin. Do you have feelings on that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see that he has, like, a mysterious past. What turned him into what he is now, you know? We'll have to see if it comes up again, because he's broken his staff, so I don't think he's going to be codemastering anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also got a, another question from Nolan Hayes at It's My DeLorean. Hello again, Nolan. Uh, so episode two of the thrilling air cart saga. <laughs> Are you fans of Westerns? And if so, which is your favorite? I don't typically go out of my way to watch Westerns. Uh, so probably my favorite would probably be Back to the Future 3. <laughs> if that counts. I think it counts. It's still set in the Old West. I'll accept sci-fi Western. <laughs> what about you? So I'm actually a big fan of Westerns. I took a course in college called Film and Literature, specifically to Westerns, right. uh, which is how I know all about machine. <laughs> <laughs> As to what's my favorite, there's kind of like a nice breakdown in Westerns of like the real gritty stuff. So like Fistful of Dollars, a few dollars more, mm-hmm. like it's really fun to watch that especially with like a young clint eastwood who was kind of nice looking back in the day (laughs) was he a thirst trap he was definitely a thirst trap (laughs) (laughs) but then like i kind of like the slightly over the top silly stuff like quick and the dead that had uh leonardo dicaprio back before he was leo Uh, that's just like you know a little silly but still really fun I was born in Texas, and that never really leaves you. <laughs> so I get a kick out of the whole Old West gunslinging stuff. It's it's always been been something I really enjoy. So if I had it, I'll go with two favorites. I'll go with Quick and the Dead as my silly fun favorite, and then uh, I'll go with A Fistful of Dollars as my, my serious one. It's interesting that you say that Westerns and Samurai movies have a lot in common, because isn't um, The Magnificent Seven like inspired by Seven Samurai? Exactly. Okay, yeah. If you go watch some old Akira Kurosawa movies, uh, you will be just like, oh man, I've seen this movie before. <laughs> Even if you've never seen it, you've definitely seen the movie before because they've they've used those motifs throughout so many of our westerns, which become ingrained in our popular culture. <laughs> I think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable. So do you have anything you want to recommend to our listeners this week? One of the people that I met at Comics Camp, uh, which I was super excited to meet, was a woman named Erica Moen. So you may know her. She does a webcomic called Oh Joy Sex Toy. <laughs> so if that wasn't a clue, uh, this is going to be a little R-rated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she draws, she draws comics that are about sex positivity, and she'll do – originally started as doing recommendations for sex toys, but has turned into this whole thing where – you know, she just talks about sex and, you know, different types of sex and different types of bodies. And it's just a very accepting, uh, well-drawn, really fun and friendly educational webcomic. So you should definitely go check that out. She has a Kickstarter going on right now. Unfortunately, I think it'll be over by the time this airs, but they'll probably still be getting like selling books and stuff afterwards uh, for a book called Drawn to Sex, which is a sex ed comic, which is just you know, if we, at least, you know, in America, a lot of our sex ed is pretty crappy <laughs> or non-existent. So even as adults, it's it's easy to kind of just, you know, like pretend that you know what you're doing. Um, and, you know, sex can be dangerous or it can be scary or you can 
like maybe want to try new things and not know how to do stuff. So I think that people like Erica who bring that to the forefront and just talk about it openly and talk about, you know, your feelings that go along with it and what you're willing to try and what you're not willing to try and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really good stuff that she makes. Her illustrations are fantastic. She's very inclusive, uh, which is real, always nice to see. No matter who you are, you'll probably see yourself represented in her comics at some point. And you should go check it out. I think I know Erica from her autobiographical comic, Dar. I remember reading that back in the day. I've never read Dar. I should go check that out. So as for myself, I, uh, as usual, don't have too much. Uh, I will recommend bowling. If you like bowling, go go do that. <laughs> Otherwise, just go outside, enjoy the nice weather like I've been doing. Forget about culture. <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely go out and check out the nice weather. I learned about nature journaling while I was in Alaska. Should you just, everyone should go do some nature journaling. It's really easy. You just got to notice, make connections, and wonder, and... It's just, you know, write down the things that you wonder about. It's, it's really fun, and it kind of makes you notice more stuff that's going on in nature. Go for a walk. It's fun. Nice. All right. So what are we looking at next week? All right. So next week, we're looking at Season 2, Episode 3, When Games Collide. Ooh. Uh, so Megabyte's up to his old shenanigans. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're going to see uh, what happens when he causes a strange error that I guess means that someone put two CDs in one CD holder. Oh I'm not sure no! How it works. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they combine. Oh god. <laughs> That's almost gonna do it for us this week. We want to remind people that we have a Patreon account if you want to help support us and keep our show going. Speaking of which, we have a new five dollar backer this week. Just today, actually, it's David Cabrera. Uh, so we're gonna give him a new nickname. What do you got for us? I think I'll call him Hi David of the 76th Brotherhood. Welcome, Codemaster. <laughs> nice. And uh, he'll be uh, getting the sticker as soon as you get those made up. Yeah, so that's one of the things you can get if you join a Patreon at $5. Um, I have stickers. We're going to be printing them shortly. And they're super fun. And you can get one. Yes. We appreciate <laughs> each and every one of you. We do. It's Thank you again, all of our patrons, all of our listeners. It's super fun when we get to hear back from you. We get to see the same people all the time online, which is great. We love you guys. But... Reach out to us. We're at Incoming Game Pod on Twitter and Incoming Game Cast on Facebook and IncomingGameCast.com. And we love hearing from you. It's really fun when people like email us stuff and ask us questions. And it's it's nice to get that interaction. So we really appreciate it. And of course, if you want to find me online, uh, I'm at Dudworks, D-U-D-W-O-R-K-S on Twitter. Uh, Dudworks Art on Facebook and also on Dudworks.com. Okay, and I'm at Stirvino Lady. Um, that's S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O, lady. Uh, and that is on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. I should hopefully be posting more art soon as I am pretty much done with my thumbnail phases for two different comics I'm working on. So you can you can peek in on, on what I'm working on. One, one's kind of slice of life thing. One involves a scary minotaur demon guy. So it's gonna be tons <laughs> of fun. Yeah, when you next hear my voice, I'll be back from Hawaii, so I should sound tanned. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's going to do it for us. So until next week, stay frosty, everybody. Stay frosty, folks. Stay frosty, folks.